or they picked some kind of villain, and we'd have to kind of work the whole story in. And usually the stories were, uh, had them rescuing Princess Mary Mary. And so they revolved around that. And so, I mean, everyone loves a great story, but they want, I think it was powerful is when you see yourself in the story. And there's, uh, there's things that propositional truth facts are good for. But they're, you know, things like uh, water freezes at 32 degrees Fahrenheit. Good to know. When the car is out of gas, that's an absolute fact. Jim has deep, thick chest muscles. An absolute fact. It's just, it's like good for those kind of facts. But sometimes facts, they just kind of stay in your head. And that's why I think stories have got this amazing way of just catching that part of your heart. Sometimes you see a movie and it actually kind of gives you a glimpse of the divine. I think that's why we actually love those, uh, some of those movies like Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, Sleeping Beauty, Matrix, right? There's like something about it. It like wakes up something on the inside of us. And so there's, it's interesting, those stories all seem to have something in common. They kind of have this thread that runs through them. Uh, the first thing is things are not what they seem. It's like, it's like, you know, they're just, people are going around their ordinary life. You know, Neo, he's awakened from this death sleep in the Matrix. He finds out it's not 1999, it's actually 2199. And this computer system's got all of humanity enslaved. Things were not as they seem. Jacob, the biblical patriarch, he, uh, he goes to sleep and, and uh, has this encounter with God where there's this ladder going from him to heaven. And then when he wakes up, he becomes more awake than he's ever been. He said this in Genesis 28. He was resting on the earth, and um, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. Things were not as they seemed. Um, another thing in these kind of movies, these epic stories that we see, is that there's a war. Sometimes they're not even aware of the war. Darth Vader just about has the universe in his death grip. And then on this lowly planet of Tatooine, these unlikely paradroids fall into the hands of Luke Skywalker. Luke has no idea what is going on, the, the price that's been paid, the deeds that have happened to get him to this point. And so here he sits in this sandstone hut with this guy named Ben Kenobi, who he doesn't realize is the Jedi Master, Obi-Wan Kenobi. And these robots give this message from the princess that says, Obi-Wan, this is our most desperate hour. Help me, you're my only hope. Right? Are you, am I losing you guys or are you guys getting it? Don't let my geekiness get in the way if you haven't seen these. I'm trying to show you that these stories have a way of capturing our hearts in a way that facts can't, because that's what Ephesians is going to do for us here in just a second. And I also uh, do not have my glasses, and so I'm doing this sermon with a new level of faith here. So, <laughs> The last thing about these stories they all have in common, it just shouts us, you, in the middle of this desperate hour, you have an important part to play. Here's these people, they're going on their normal lives, and all of a sudden they're caught up in the midst of this life and death struggle, and they've got an important part to play. For most of his life, Neo just thought he was this computer programmer named Thomas Anderson. Mr. Anderson just thought he was this computer programmer working for this large corporation. Frodo, the little halfling from the Shire, he was young and naive in so many ways. He was described as the most unlikely person imaginable, and he was the one to bear the ring and to save Middle Earth. Joan of Arc, she was a farm girl. She was illiterate. She was the youngest in her family. And she began to have visions of God uh, telling her that she was going to actually rescue people. The commander of the French army said that she needed to be sent home and given a good whipping, is, is what he said about her. And, uh, and uh, she ends up leading the armies in war. And you see throughout Scripture, there's this young shepherd boy who was too young for the draft, who actually came and slayed the giant and uh, set Israel up for victory. There's a loudmouth fisherman named Peter who chickens out at the first sign of persecution. He ends up leading the church. There's a prostitute with a golden heart, and she performs this one act, and Jesus said, whenever the gospel's told, we're going to tell about this one act. Gang, things are not what they seem. We are in the middle of a war, and you have a majorly important part to play in this desperate hour. 
the book of Ephesians, it comes like crashing out of nowhere and it tries to wake us out of our sleep and says there's something going on in this world that you may not be aware of. See, the danger for believers is to just begin to live what the Bible calls according to your flesh. That means to live about what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel. If I can't see it, I can't feel it, I can't smell it, it doesn't exist. We know that there's this other world calling us, but because it's not demanding our attention, because you actually have to turn and seek it, sometimes it's easy for believers to live as if there's just this world. We're in a series called The Book of Ephesians, and we've made it through eight verses so far. And guess how many we're going to make it through today? Three more verses. So we're going to be done by about 2020. No, we're going to, we're going to finish it by the end of the year, I believe. I just, the, the first three chapters are really about the riches of Christ. They're absolutely overwhelming, and I love Paul's pattern as he tells people who they are before he tells them how they can now act based on this. I think so many times in the church, people just start with, you need to do this, you need to do this, and it just becomes this works thing. You're trying to do it in your own strength. It becomes religious unless you have this overwhelming vision of this is who Jesus is in me, and this is who I am in him. And so I wanted to really take some time and really paint that today. So Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, uh, we have the, the longest verse in the New Testament. It's actually one giant run-on sentence, 202 words. And it's Paul. He just begins gushing this avalanche of blessings that is available to the believer. And uh, we began to unpack those. And so today we're going to pick it up in verse 9. So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9. I'm going to be doing this whole series through the Passion Translation. So, so thankful for Brian Simmons and his teaching. Here we go, verse 9. And through the revelation of the anointed one, he unveiled his secret desires to us. How many of you guys realize God has secrets? God has secrets. And just like any normal person, he doesn't just go blabbing his secrets to any person. But I've got good news for you. You're not just any person. You have been wrapped up into his son, and his son has been wrapped up in you. I said, it's like you're in Christ, and Christ is in God, and God's in you. It's like this, this to glory tortilla. It's like a glortia. Remember this? Like somehow I'm in this. So you're not just anybody. You have access to his heart. You have access to his mouth. And so God has given his cherished ones the secrets of his heart. It says, um, the, the hidden mystery of his long-range plan, which he has delighted to implement from the very beginning of time. The word mystery can also be translated secret. It's used 27 times in the New Testament. So let's go ahead. Does anyone in here want to name the 27 mysteries of the New Testament? Anyone want to do that? I asked the staff this morning. I think we got through about three. And so um, I'll just give you a couple. I'm just out of interesting. Uh, the mystery of God's long-range plan. You should have got that one since we just read that one. But yeah, I'll give you that one. Um, the mysteries of the kingdom of God, Matthew 13, 11. The mystery of the gospel, Romans 16, 25, and 26. The mystery of Israel and the full number of the Gentiles coming to faith, Romans 11, 25. The mystery of marriage as a type of Christ. The mystery of the spiritual realm. The mystery of righteousness. The mystery of the coming emancipation from death. And on and on it goes. And so there's these mysteries. And here's the idea behind a mystery is you can't get it in a classroom. You can't figure out these mysteries from a commentary. The only, thing that, the only way they can be revealed is if the Holy Spirit comes and unveils these things. And so the, the Holy Spirit did that to the writers of the New Testament. But unless the Holy Spirit comes and breathes on these mysteries, they still stay like facts in our head. And it's when the Holy Spirit comes and, and, and unveils it and we begin to see it and we begin to see ourselves in the story, that's when something begins to come alive in our heart. And it's like, ah, this isn't just cold, hard facts. This is my story. This is my history. This is the story that I find myself in. 
The greatest riches of God are the, are the spiritual revelations. So those, those are the things that are most prized in the kingdom. Listen to Proverbs 25.2 in the Passion Translation. Maybe you recognize it in another translation where it says, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of man to search, the glory of kings to search it out. Listen to it in the Passion Translation. God conceals the revelation of his word in the hiding place of his glory. But the honor of kings is revealed to all by how they thoroughly mine out the deeper meaning of all that God says. See, what you need will be given to you, but what you really want, you're going to have to search it out. And the Bible says it's not just this half-hearted seeking, like, oh, I've got a little extra time today, I think I'll seek God. And uh, the Bible says it's, a, it's an interesting kind of seeking. He says you'll seek him and find him when you seek him with all of your heart. So Jim, what does that mean? It's going to have to be revealed to you for each different person. I don't think there was like a formula, like step one, do this. It's, it's, it's a condition of the heart that says, God, I want you more than I want I'm more hungry for your word than I am for food. That's what fasting really is. But I'm not here to talk about that. Here's a picture. I want you to just get this in your identity. You and I are confidants of the Trinity. You're the one that he shares his intimate secrets with. Not only through his word, but through his spirit into your ear. The hidden mystery of his long-range plan which he was delighted to implement from the very beginning of time. He's getting ready to tell you. So this plan, the, the secret that he had was this mystery, the long-range plan. Now he's getting ready to tell you what the plan is. Verse 10. And because of God's unfailing purpose, this detailed plan, there's that word again, will reign supreme through every period of time until the fulfillment of all the ages finally reaches its climax. Here it is. When God makes all things new in all of heaven and earth through Christ. So there's the secret. This is the thing that nobody knew. This is what God was up to this whole time, is um, when God makes all things new in all of heaven and earth through Jesus Christ. Here's the picture. God's beautiful world has been hijacked by dark forces. And so God sent his son into this world to redeem back everything, not just mankind, but all of creation, all the planet. Everything's been thrown out of whack by sin. So God has sent his son into this world to redeem everything back to himself. Everything will be put right. This is the Christianity that we're trying to explain to the world. It's not just pray this prayer so you can go to heaven when you die. No, it's actually much more grand, much more cosmic than that. Something, things are not as they seem. There is a war, and you have an important part to play. And that important part to play is God is looking to redeem all of humanity, and he wants to use you and me. There is no plan B. Like you and I are the only plan that he has for redemption. Let me read uh, verse 11. Can you believe we're on verse 11? The third verse. Through our union with Christ, we too have been claimed by God as his own inheritance. Before we were even born, he gave us our destiny, that we would fulfill the plan, there's that word again, of God who always accomplishes every purpose and plan in his heart. So there's that word plan again. So God, God sent his son into the world to redeem it, and then he placed you and I in his son. 35 times in the book of Ephesians, it says that you are in Christ. Here's what that means is you are enfolded into Christ like an ingredient into a batch of cookie dough. You are enfolded into Christ like a piece of twine wrapped into a rope. Okay? You are in him. He is in you. He has come into this world to save the world. You are now in him. And his, God's plan is now that you and I would join him in his mission to cover this earth with the glory of God like the water covers the sea. 
that his life-giving life presence, that we would host it so well that as we go into circumstances, we would overwhelm those circumstances with the presence of God. That the kingdoms of this world would become the kingdoms of our God and of his, uh, kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. You guys okay? Maybe I need to talk about how we're uh, hungry, more hungry for his word than for food since it's getting lunchtime. Do we need to go there again? Right? What he is, you are. What Jesus has, you have. You are his reborn identity. You are born again into a new realm where now you are is Christ where he is. Every time God looks at you, he sees you in Christ. So you're never allowed to look at yourself apart from Christ because God never does. Guys, Ephesians is coming and breaking us out of the slumber and saying something has happened. And he begins to list these spiritual blessings. And because of these blessings, because you're in Christ, now we've got a mission. This has been God's plan all along. This is his grand scheme. He wants his life-giving presence to spread across the world and for all nations to experience shalom. Listen to Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 4. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. This is Jesus speaking. This was his mission. To bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and the day of the vengeance of our God. It's interesting, Jesus quotes this as his, uh, as his verse that commissions him into ministry in Luke chapter 4. He leaves off the part about the day of the vengeance of our God. So many prophets would tell you that we are in the day of the vengeance of our God. God is just ticked off, he's angry, he's just about to judge America, but he judged Jesus instead. God's judgment is saved for the end of time when believers and unbelievers will stand before God based on how they dealt with Jesus. God is not dealing with humanity right now based on our actions. There's, there's sowing and reaping. There's consequences, absolutely. But as far as God's heart and access to him, it, everything's been changed because of Jesus. I think one of the most powerful verses in Romans 5 is it says, you will never experience the wrath of God. Just, just write that on your refrigerator. Some of you write that on your heart right now. You will never experience the wrath of God. It's written to believers. If you're not a believer, then we, then we got to talk. Because <laughs> no one is going to become righteous by their own efforts. You need a Savior. Verse 3. To grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them beautiful headdresses instead of ashes, to give the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Okay, I want you to see. God takes these people, he's anointed, he comes, and he heals them up. Are you ready for the next verse? Here's the whole reason that you're being healed up. That they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. God cares about cities. God cares about nations. What God is saying is once you get healed up, once your family is healed up, your job is to join him in his plan to redeem everything to himself and to go and heal cities. Like, hold on, Jim, that's just one verse. I'm glad you brought that up. Isaiah 58, it's a chapter where God tells, he's like, you know, you guys are fasting from food. That's great. God's going to say, here's the kind of fast I'm interested in. So he spells that out, and he gives this in verse 9. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer you shall cry, you shall cry, and he will say, here I am. So imagine, so 
this fast that he's about to tell you about that he wants, God is just instantly there. His presence is there when we're, when we're doing this. Here, here's what it is. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, and the speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places. No matter how bad it gets on earth, you're fine. And make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. You ready for this? And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundation of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. So Isaiah 61, God says, I'm going to restore you, and then my goal is that you go and restore cities. Isaiah 58, this is the fast I choose. Not that you would go and fast from food, that's great, but that you would go and restore cities. Things are not as they seem. We're in the middle of a war, and your part is way more important to play. God's saying, I want you healed up so that you can go and heal cities. Listen to Amos 9.11. This is God's 9.11. You ready for this? In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen, and repair its breaches, and raise up its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old. They shall possess the remnant of Edom, and all nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming when the plowman shall overtake the reaper. In other words, the harvest is coming in faster than they can plant it. And the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. They're already making wine. I mean, you can see there's supernatural acceleration in these days. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. Are you ready for this? I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. God says, I'm going to raise up the fallen booth of David. It's interesting. What was David known for? What's this booth of David? Well, David had a tabernacle that had worship 24 hours a day, seven days a week for 40 years. That was Mount Zion. What's the name of our church? It's the place where the people of God met the presence of God. And they lived out of that place. When I first came here, I thought, that's kind of a weird name. It's kind of like, I don't know, like Jehovah's Witness or something kind of weird. I don't know. I, I, just, I didn't really like it. And then I started reading about Zion in the Bible. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, you start seeing the promises. What's it? Um, uh, Isaiah 35, I think, uh, something, 24. It says, um, no one in Zion will say, I am sick, for the Lord has forgiven their iniquity. So I know it wasn't written directly for our church, but it was actually written directly for our church. So I just, <laughs> I just take it as that. Disease-free zone. Yeah, I like that. Divorce-free zone. Poverty-free zone. I cannot start talking about finances. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my it's gooder than you think. I know that prosperity has been abused and people give, uh, turn it into selfishness and greed. Um, we're not talking, that's on a whole different planet than what the Bible is actually referring to. There's a new prosperity that God wants to release. So, so David has this 24-7 worship and God says the whole reason that I wanted them to have that 
was so that they could go and repair cities. He says, I'm restoring the fallen booth of David so that they can go and repair cities and streets and begin to live in them and inhabit them. So forward to the New Testament. The, uh, the apostles are getting together in Acts 15. There's this council of Jerusalem. And what's happening is these Gentiles who don't even have the law, they're getting saved. Signs and wonders are being worked among them. They're getting filled with the Holy Spirit. And so now they've got to figure out what to do with these Gentiles. And so um, Paul and Barnabas are giving testimony. And then James stands up. And, uh, and James says this, Acts 15, 13 through 18. Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take them to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. He begins to quote Amos here. After this, I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes things known from old. I don't know what your end-time theology is, but uh, the way I'm reading the Bible, it says God cares about cities. So many people think that we're, uh, the you have this theology that says the world has to get worse and worse, and all of a sudden Jesus is going to come on the scene when we're just about to go under and rescue us and hope that we don't get left behind. Um, gang, you've already been left behind for a purpose. <laughs> Jesus wants to redeem all things to himself. He put you in Jesus, and now you are part of his plan to transform this planet. I'm so tired of Christians praying the, uh, the Star Trek prayer. Beam me up, Scotty. Get me out of here. Let's have a rapture practice, okay? Instead, he told us to pray the opposite prayer. He said to pray this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're not trying to get up there. We're trying to get up there to come down here. That's the plan and the purposes of God. You are not waiting to go to heaven when you die. God's trying to get you into heaven before you die. He tried to have you enter into the reality of his presence and his power. To live in that because you're in him and he's in you. We went through two weeks of just looking at the outrageous blessings of what he has for us. Before we close, I want you to just see the language used to describe you and me. I want you to read verse, I'm going to read verse 11 again. Through our union with Christ... We too have been claimed by God as his own inheritance. You and I are God's inheritance. Before we were ever born, he gave us our destiny, that we would fulfill the plan of God who always accomplishes every purpose and plan in his heart. Are you sitting down for this, you guys? God has claimed you as his inheritance. You may be thinking, like, what do I have to offer God? Like, 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 he's not getting a very good deal here. Let me tell you what he's getting. Um, he's getting a way to express his limitless love. See, God doesn't just have love. He is love. So you and I, it's like, you know, we, you know, the beauty of the object makes us love it. You know, I didn't, like, see Mary one day. And I, I wasn't, like, walking around with unconditional love, like, you know, like, let me just point it at somebody. Like, I saw her, and I was like, Wow. That, that does something for my heart. The beauty of the beloved makes me, you see what I'm saying? This human kind of love responds to the beauty of the beloved. God's kind of love is way different. God is love, and he's looking for somewhere to point it, irregardless of your behavior or response. You guys understand that God loves Billy Graham the same amount that he loves Jesus, the same amount that he loves ISIS. It's interesting, it's so scandalous that the Father loves terrorists and apostles the same. 
And when those terrorists receive the love of God, they actually get turned into apostles. The Apostle Paul is going out, dragging people, killing them because of their beliefs. Guys, that's the kind of God that we serve. And he's saying, you are my inheritance. You are the one I get to pour my love upon. He gets the delight of his heart. He gets a lookalike partner for his son. You and I are the reward for Jesus' sufferings. He gets a container to carry like Mary, the Christ within. This doesn't fit our mind. We need the Holy Spirit to come and breathe on us and say, I am God's inheritance. I am the beloved. I am the one who carries like Mary, the Christ within. We are the inheritance of God. And because of the blood of Jesus, because it was so precious, God has invested way too much in you to stop short. So you may not reach perfection in this life. I, I don't know how many of us are going to actually reach to become exactly like Jesus, but there will be a time when he makes you everything that he promised you would be. The only thing that limits it on this earth is our ability to renew our mind. I don't really want to go into this a whole bunch. This is a whole teaching. I think I taught an hour and a half on this once. But um, when you were born again, your spirit was made perfect. Your spirit is righteous. It has all the anointing, all the wisdom. Your spirit and God's spirit became one spirit. On the inside, you are one-third wall-to-wall Holy Ghost. Okay? So everything you have on the inside, the moment you became born again, you, you're not going to be any more holy. 10,000 years from now in heaven, you have the same holiness that Jesus has. And as we begin to renew our minds, what has taken place in our spirit begins to influence our emotions and uh, come into our bodies and begin to influence our atmospheres. The way we do that is through the spirit of wisdom and revelation. We're going to talk about that in two weeks. Okay? Oh, my goodness. You guys good? Oh, my. All right. I think the last couple of weeks I've spoken at some African-American churches, and they just seem to be a little bit more responsive. Okay? So maybe I just got a little spoiled. So turn with your Bibles. Yes, amen. I'm like, I didn't even say anything. This is amazing. What did they, uh, thank you. What did, uh, what did that person, what was the thing they yelled out at the last church I went to? It wasn't go tease, don't tease me. It wasn't, that's grown up talk. I love those. I, I can't remember what it was. It was something like, talk about it. That was it. Talk about it. Talk about it. <laughs> like, I am, but that feels good. <laughs> Some of you need to read verse 11 over and over again. I double dare you to read Ephesians 1 a couple times this week. I double dog dare you to do it. It'll change your life. It is the riches of the believer. You are the inheritance of God given to Jesus. You are the love gift the Father is going to give to his Son. And everything you love about Jesus is who he's making you to be. So I'm going to end the way I started. Things are not what they seem. We are at war, but it's not against people. It's against dark powers who have hijacked this planet. And through the love and goodness of God, we are going to drive them right off this planet. In this desperate hour, we have a crucial role to play. Uh, if remember the um, theatrical trailer for The Lord of the Rings. It was like this three-minute trailer and had these images, this flashing, and had these words flash on the screen. Fate has chosen him. A fellowship will protect him. Evil will hunt him. We live in this hostile territory of this planet, the God of this world, uh, Satan, um, 
Christianity is all about this story that we find ourselves in of taking this thing back. This has been God's plan, his secret plan, that he wasn't going to just do it all himself while we just go about our lives. We're in him. He's in God. This is the plan. God is looking to partner with his kids to redeem the world, and that's his secret from the beginning.